0: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, in case you didn't know, and today's episode is gonna be a little bit of a continuation of last week's episode where we talk about the Platinum Pro players and the Hall of Famers appearance fee changes that Wizards implemented then shortly reverted. But we're gonna get a, we're just gonna talk a little bit more about it, just some other stuff I've read and just my thoughts and opinions on it. and But before we get into that, we'll talk about some good old magic. You know, the actual game. And talk about some decks I'm working on building. Some decks I'm plotting. And yeah. So before we begin, I would just like to say Magic with Zuby is now being featured on LegitMTG.com. I definitely urge everyone to check that website out. Not only can you find really cool magic singles and sealed product, but there is a wealth of content on there f- with articles. There's a lot of people writing a lot of awesome articles about modern standard finance. Um, you know, you name it, they've got it. From casual articles to competitive to talking about big tournaments grand prixs, pro tours, all that. So, definitely check it out. It's worth your time. And you know, what's another cool thing is if you buy any buy product anything over $2, you get free shipping and we know how much of a pain in the ass shipping can be at other websites. So, yeah, like I said legitmtg.com. That's l e g i t m t g.com. So definitely check them out. You can find Magic with Zuby on Stitcher, iTunes, Shout Engine. We just got accepted onto Google Play Music. So if you have an Android phone and you don't like the Stitcher app, or um, you know, using Shout Engine or anything like that, or whatever your preferred podcast app is, we are now on Google Play Music. So definitely get on that if you're on an Android. Uh, you can also find Magic Wazoobi. There's magicwazoobi.com. Um, where else? Oh, yeah. I've got a Twitter at magicwazoobi, Facebook com. I already said that. Facebook.com slash magicwazoobi. And what else? Oh, yeah. You can email me any questions, mtgzubi at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd be happy to read any questions that I get you know, uh, I appreciate, I actually got two pieces of quote unquote fan mail the other day or this past week. And I have to say, I really appreciate it and really enjoyed reading it. And it just kind of means a lot to me because it's, you know, I'm, I, I love magic. The gathering, obviously I wouldn't have started this podcast if I didn't love this game as much as I do. And I feel like I have a passion for it and, you know, I just enjoy doing, this is just something I really enjoy doing, and I'm glad that some people are listening, I think I've gone up from two listeners to maybe four now, I mean, that's freaking sweet, four listeners, it's awesome, uh, but um, in, in all seriousness though, I really do appreciate it to anybody that listens, even if you don't write me back or anything, and you just enjoy what I'm putting out, you know, I, I'm doing it, I'm doing doing it on my own free time, and you know, it's it's just something i really enjoy doing so uh, anything else with where you can find the show said the website facebook twitter uh i mean you can follow my personal twitter account at zubatron z u b a t r o n um i started playing a little bit more magic online actually so if you want to hit me up on magic online it's zubatron i mean i'm i'm not really on a lot it's i i only really get on for when i want to test you know some maybe some cheap modern deck or or just get an idea for a cheap standard deck you know just more homebrew stuff than anything um but yeah i'm I'm zubatron on magic online and if you know i do still play magic duels once in a while and steam my steam account zubatron yeah Pretty much any kind of game ID or anything is just Zubatron because that's been my nickname since, got before college or was it at college? Whatever, I don't remember. Um, yeah. So, uh, what else? Oh, I guess I can make a little shout out to this to my other gaming podcast, which Magic Gathering is a game, but this is this podcast that I'm also. Helping produce is an actual video game podcast, more like retro video games. It is called the VCR Gaming Podcast, VCR standing for Vintage Classic Retro. And it is not just by myself, but with a co-host. His name is Butler, and it's just me and him, you know, BSing with each other, talking about video games, old games, modern games, standard games, vintage, legacy, you know, all those types. And we also, you know, we talk about video game news and then we just BS about games we played and just what we remembered and what we loved about them. And then we give each other challenges for every episode. So my first two challenges were first one was to beat Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on the Super Nintendo whooped its ass. And then for the second episode, he gives me the challenge of beating Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in time on hard by myself. And if you listen to the episode, you'll hear me laugh and scoff because I've done that many times. So, yeah, he kind of got mad because then I streamed it and whooped that game's ass very quickly. But that's beside the point. Um, VCR Gaming is on iTunes, Google Play, Shout Engine, Stitcher. Yeah, I said Google Play. Um, pretty much like all the same platforms, you can find Magic with Zuby. And what else? Uh there's no website yet, but there's a Twitter and Facebook. Facebook is Facebook.com slash VCR Gaming. And the Twitter is at VCR Gaming, I believe. You can always see me retweet the VCR gaming Twitter as well for whenever we post a new episode or video or anything like that. So I think that is all for shout outs. Yeah. So what has been going on with me? Um, this past week has been really crazy work wise and it's just gonna be getting crazier. It's like man, it just seems like it doesn't stop, doesn't end. And with the the field that I'm in, I'm in healthcare. It's it this always seems to happen. The especially for I guess healthcare IT, it seems to really ramp up from March and doesn't stop till about October is when it, and then November is sort of, we try to get last minute projects down and then December it's sort of usually things kind of cool down. We don't really um, do a lot of major projects, you know, especially December, January, because, you know, one, the end of the year is winding down, budgets are closed, books are closed, and it's just really, you know, break-fix type stuff. But yeah, the projects have just been, uh oh, back-breaking and mind-breaking, and it's just, I've gotten word that there's going to be even more, so it's like, shit. And I'm trying to get as much magic in as possible when I do have the time. But man it is it's been way harder than it normally is, but yeah, um, in other news is I'm finally closing on my house, and I am just so glad it is done with it's I'm closing later on this week by the time the this podcast comes out, I should already own the house um but I'm just so glad it's done with i'm. It's it's a it's a big relief, and I've already you know started planning some big purchases that I want to do. Um, my first big purchase is going to be a Black Lotus from Beta. Um, then maybe a few mocks. Now, in in seriousness though, my probably my first big purchase is going to be a lawnmower, because with renting we always had you know someone mowing our lawn, but now that we own a house, I'm not going to pay someone to mow my lawn. It's I'm going to go do it. So, yeah, that that's um big milestone, and my wife and I are super excited about becoming homeowners, finally. And, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, let's see. I participated in Friday Night Magic, and we actually, it's been getting more popular lately, which is awesome because, especially when Battle for Zendokar came out, standard was god it was dead it was no one enjoyed the expensive ass mana base with fetches and you know jace being popular and four color rally everywhere god i hated that deck like even though there was a few weeks i played four color rally and i liked how there were a lot of triggers based on it and how you really had to keep track of it but it was just such a non-interactive deck and you were just you know hoping to go off and yeah so i brought bant company with me and i can't remember if i talked about my bant company deck last time but it's it's a little bit out of the ordinary because i don't have any archangel avisons because i don't want to spend the money on them really so instead I had instead of Avison I had Eldrazi Displacer and I added one waste in the deck so you know I could do Eldrazi Displacer's little uh move where he could exile a creature and bring it back into the battlefield um and then I had Void Grafters in case you don't know what Void Grafter does Void Grafter is a neat little 3 drop a colorless green and a blue it has flash very much like bounding crisis where you could cast a spell at any time you cast an instant when void grafter enters the battlefield another target creature you control gains hex proof until end of turn a two four so what i enjoyed with this guy here is you know say someone's trying to spot removal um, jace or you know my dusk watch recruiter or something. You know, just boom, flash and void rafter, nope, sorry, he's got a hex proof, boom, next, please, so um, yeah, and here is just a little rundown of how I did my first round was up against green black aristocrats, and yeah, I did not do so well it that deck, I mean, the green black aristocrats is basically just two color rally. It relies on Nantuka Husk, Zulaport Cutthroat, and just a bunch of tiny creatures to just kill you off. And it doesn't, you don't even need, with that deck, you don't even need to swing with your creatures to attack. So, what is hard about Green Black Aristocrats against Bant Company, is since, since both decks are very non interactive, I mean, the only, especially main board with my deck, the only interaction i have with the other person's board is dromoka's command which dromoka's command is a green and a white instant and you choose two out of four abilities which is prevent all damage target instant or sorcery spell would deal this turn target player sacks an enchantment put a one one counter on target creature or target creature you control fights target creature you don't control so with that being said the only thing I was really able to do was make him sacked as Cryptolith Rite, which is an enchantment a one and a green that allows your creatures to be tapped for any color mana, which is, you know, sort of like a Mana Weft or a um, Gemhide Sliver would do. And it's just, you know, it, it kind of sucks. I mean, Bank Company pretty much sucks against that deck because one... that's your only removal, really. You have Reflector Mage, but all that does is just slow him down. And what makes it also a little bit frustrating is since you don't really have Trample, yeah, you can go in and attack with your guys, but if he has an Antuco Husk, one, you know he's going to sack a bunch of stuff to it to either deal damage to you if he has Zulaport Cutthroat out, or he's going to just kill off one of your best attackers. At the time, so it it's a little bit difficult. You got to be a li- you got to be faster than the aristocrats and just hope they don't you know get that zulaport cutthroat out. And if they do, try to kill it as quickly as you can, um, or just stop them from getting an Antuco husk out with reflector mage. But other than that, it's it's tough. Um, I feel like if I had the Archangel avicens I may have done a little bit better. Um, since Avison can wipe the board if one of my guys die and that, you know, with it being flying, it just helps me even more since I can go over him. But like I said, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. So with any kind of sideboard that I did, so obviously I lost the first game with green black aristocrats. So my sideboard included, um, getting declaration in stone tragic tragic arrogance with declaration in stone in case you forgot is one in a white exile it's a sorcery exile target creature and all other creatures it con- its controller controls with the same name as that creature that player investigates for each non-token creature exiled that way so definitely use that against the zulport cutthroats or even the nantugo husks um just to kill off the sack outlet um tragic tragic arrogance is a three colorless and two white and you just basically choose what he keeps on the board and, you know, just to kill off all his other creatures. But I mean, even that isn't that great if he has an Nantugua husk out, so he can just basically sack everything anyway. And you're just sort of like, well, I just wasted five mana for nothing. Um, other stuff I had were a hidden dragon slayer in case he got, you know, the Nantugua husk pretty big and tried to swing in a den protector to get back a card and whichever one I needed. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really have a great sideboard against it. And I proceeded to lose pretty bad. Um, yeah, even round two was just sort of like, well, shit. It, the round two did go a little bit longer because he, was, he wasn't able to find the hus, but that freaking. He got two Catacomb Sifters out, was able to scry two every time something died, because he would purposely sack his Eldrazi Scions or you know, try to go in and attack on me, and I would block, or or I would go and attack, and he would block, and just scry two, and yeah, there was just no way for me to win that. So I quickly 0 2 that first round. Uh, the next round was a little bit easier for me. It was Red Black Vampires, and while Red Black Vampires is an aggro deck, and they do have some flyers, I I don't know if the guy just got really unlucky with his draws, but I was just able to do the tempo, you know, get Sylvan out, then reflector mage, a uh, dusk watch recruiter, and just basically win via tempo. Um, both games. They, they weren't really much games because every time he would get a creature out, I would either reflector mage it or, you know, he would ping me, leave himself wide open and I would just go in for the kill. So, I don't really count that round. I mean, even though it does count as a win, it was just more of a eh, a non-game. Um, next round was is it Thopters, which, um, yeah. Without the Avicens, my deck doesn't do well against Flyers, and I definitely proceeded to lose game one. Um, game two, I was looking for my Declaration stones and Tragic Arrogance, and I just could not find any of them, and I proceeded to lose. So I went O two. And it was, I mean, they were pretty close games, but just, yeah, just the amount of creatures that Izzetthopters can get just overwhelms me. Even though they're really small creatures, it's, like I said, I think if I had Avison, I could have flashed in, kill one of my guys, let one of my guys die. He, I wiped the board with him and boom. But, oh, well, um, Red Green Ramp. I had a good feeling going up against red, green ramp. This was round four. So right now round with round four, I'm one and two or before round four starts. And, and, you know, I had a good feeling cause I'm really, really familiar with red, green ramp. He, they, he did play it a little bit differently though. He had reality smashers in it, which I was not expecting at all because turn five or turn four came and he had five land out and I'm, um, Thinking, and I see him tap all five lane. I'm like, what's going on? Like, he shouldn't have anything. And a reality smasher comes and boom. And I'm just like, oh. So I quickly Reflector Mage that. And, you know, I basically beat him down via tempo. He did wipe my board a couple times with Chandra. But it just um wasn't enough. It, in round two, I managed to beat him because he forgot I had a Lumbering Falls. And I got him down to four life. I had a bounding. I flashed in a bounding crisis at the end of his turn to tap his Ulamog. and then I activated Lumbering Falls the next turn and hit him, killed him. Yeah. So, two O red green ramp, which I'm I was kind of happy about. Like I said, I know that deck really well, so I knew what to expect at least. Um, and then the last round, round five, was blue white control. Um, I hadn't really seen Blue White Control before. I, he was running Ojetize, Um God, just a lot of counter magic, and Ojatize, and oh crap, I cannot remember what else. But I, I beat him two zero as well. And, um, and so with Bank Company, I, I almost feel dirty playing this deck because it sort of reminds me of, in a sense, of Abzan. Because Abzan, especially during Theros and between Theros and Khans, God, Abzan just had such good tempo. And it even though the creatures aren't that strong in Bant Company, it just still feels the same way with Collected Company. Collected Company is just such a good card. And I love that card. And I won't really miss it when it goes away. Because right now it just seems like there's to get a really good deck, you need collect a company like green black aristocrats needs collect a company, uh, bank company, collect a company. Um, what green white humans collect a company. It's there's just so many good uses for a collected company. It's just ridiculous. And it's turning out to be like the card of dragons of Tarkir. It's, I don't know. It's like, I really love the card. I love what it does for my Elf deck in Modern. But, like I said, I feel dirty playing Bant Company. Because it's just... I mean, it's not that it doesn't take any skill to play. It definitely takes skill to play the deck. It's just like... Uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, I just feel like it's Abzan sometimes. Where it's just like, oh, Collected Company, Reflector Mage, Bounding Crisis. um, I win. You know, type thing. Yeah, so there's that. Um, so at the end of the night, I went 3 and 2. I got some prize money. I got like 10 bucks in prize money, store credit. And I bought 3 packs with it, and what do you know? One of my packs had an Archangel Avicen. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to trade up into another Archangel Avicen. so I have 2 for my Bant Company deck, so I can play a real Bant Company deck. Um, I've already got cards that I'm going to trade in, uh, just just some random stuff that I'm never going to use. And yeah, so that was pretty cool, pulling that, so that was definitely the highlight of my night, and then I proceeded to go home after that, and yeah, that was about it. So decks I am working on, I cannot remember if I mentioned... Yeah, I, I mentioned my um, latest update with Modern Artifact Explosion. um, So I was reading up one of the articles last night, and I saw that there was some MTG Goldfish red, I guess a red artifact deck using kodolpha Rebirth, and it looked very, very similar to the artifact deck that I built. Which, I mean, there's big differences. It has more goblins in it. You know, Reckless Bushwhacker and the other Bushwhacker. I forget the name. Um, mine's a little bit more artifact-based. So, I was just sort of like, well, shit. He, This guy kind of built the same deck, and I'm just like, well, fuck. Because I've been working on this for a couple weeks. I, I did devote some playtime to it this past week. I bought the deck on MTGO, and the deck was only like twelve bucks. Well, because I had half the deck anyway. Um but it was like twelve bucks and I already had twelve tickets, so I just bought it. And I've been play testing it a lot. And I gotta say games one game games. Game one is just over by turn three or four. Because turn one I can get three goblin tokens out. And then turn two I can Maybe get a Memnite, then a Reckless Bushwhacker out. Boom, a lot of damage. Turn three, maybe I'll get a Signal Pest or another Memnite, and just boom, it's just over. And the like I was saying before in um previous podcast with Sense Artifact, there's so much Artifact hate with Affinity. It's this deck is already games two and three are super hard for me to win against. Um, so far, I've only really, the decks I've practiced up against were some black-white warrior deck. Um, definitely not top-tier decks. It's just whatever MTGO throws at me. I'm not doing any of the modern queues or anything like that. I'm just doing the, the getting serious or the tournament practice rooms. Um, no, not tournament practice, the getting serious or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's... I've only really been going up against non-meta decks, so it's kind of hard to say how this fares up against other decks. I really, yeah, I guess we'll just see. I'll keep playing an MTGO and let you guys know what's going on. And I hope to have more of a final concrete list when I have the time. But, yeah, by the time it gets out, there's already going to be someone else building this deck, and it's going to be way better. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, I wasted all that time for nothing. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Another deck I'm working on. Well, I've already talked about Bant Company. Another deck that I am slowly, slowly building is Legacy Elves. Um, I've decided that I'm going to kind of stop building more modern decks because um, I was thinking about building Tron, Mono Green Tron. And, um, God, what was the other one? Oh, the. A goblin deck in a modern, but I'm just like, no, I've already got two really good decks, Grix's Delver and Elves, and the only thing I need to work on with those is getting the side ward up to snuff. I need to get Spell Skites and Fulminator Mages and probably a Blood Moon or Damnation. But so, but I've kind of wanted to focus again on my Legacy Elf deck. And if anyone wants to send me a play set of Gaia's Cradles, that I would be greatly appreciated and give you shout-outs every time on every episode of Magic with Zuby. Um, You know, because they only run about 200 apiece. So if you want to send me a playset, a playset is four cards. So I would greatly appreciate that. Yeah, because that is one of the biggest hold-ups. Because the, the elf list I actually have, let me pull it up here. Do, 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 do. Finding it, I go on tappedout.net. I love tappedout.net. Um, it's probably my favorite. This is not an ad, by the way. I've been using this site for three years. Um, it's probably my favorite deck building website. Um, I don't know why, because I've tried deckbox.org, and while I like the the layout of it, and know there's just. God, I don't remember what it was about it that I didn't like. There was something. Alright, the Legacy Elves list I'm running is probably a really similar list. Um, It's got the Birchlore Rangers, Craterhoof Behemoth, Deathrite Shaman, Elvish Visionary, Heritage Druid, Nettle Sentinel, Quirion Ranger, Excuse me, Reclamation Sage, Wirewood Symbiote. Then the Land... This is where it's going to take me a while. Because I have all the creatures except the two Crater Hoof Behemoth, but those are only like, what, 20 bucks each? Yeah, about 20 bucks each, and that's fine. Um, I have everything else. Uh, The land is where it's going to kill me, though. I need two Bayou. God, Bayou's are like 170 a piece right now. Guy's Cradles, oh, they're 190 a piece. Oh, that's better than 200. That saves me forty bucks. Yay! And then I do need verdant catacombs, which are, damn, they're about seventy. Shit. So if anybody wants to send me two bayou, four guys cradles, and two verdant catacombs, that would be much appreciated. Just send me an email. Now, <sniffs> nah, just yeah. Because uh, I've got the cons fetch lands. I think everybody has those now. Um. Then the other expensive cards are gonna be the natural order and glimpse of nature. Though this does the sideboard I'm looking at does run a Sylvan Library, which is about a hundred dollars. So uh, I could probably substitute something else. Cause I'd really want to focus more on getting um you know the main board done first. Cause I've pretty much got all the sideboard except for Sylvan library and the abrupt decays. But I mean I can easily get the abrupt decays. That's easy. They're like ten bucks each. Um Cabal Therapies. Did I see any of those? What judgment, judgment. Hmm. You know what? Cause I just bought a collection from someone, and they had some pretty damn good cards in there. And you know there may have been a cabal therapy in there. I'd have to check it out after this. But, yeah, so, like I said, I'm slowly going to be building up Legacy Elves. I'll probably finish up getting the two Critterhoof Behemoths, and then probably work on getting the rest of the sorcery cards, like the Glimpse of Nature and the Natural Orders. Natural Orders like 30 bucks a pop, so that's not too bad. And the Glimpse of Nature is about 20 bucks a pop, so, like I said, not too bad. And what's funny is the price difference compared to playing... This deck on paper compared to playing it on magic online so on paper if i were to buy this entire deck right now on paper it would cost me two thousand dollars and forty two thousand and forty dollars and 54 cents whereas if i were to buy this on magic online it would cost me four hundred and thirty nine dollars and 31 cents damn that is such a huge difference in price is when you look at the Bayou's... Bayou's are $172 on paper. And on Magic Online... They're $5.8. Guys' Cradles on Magic Online... Are $42. Shit. I would love to pay $42... For... You know... $42 a piece for Gaia's Cradle on paper. Oh god. I'd buy them in a heartbeat. Um... Yeah. So... You know, like I said, that's what I'm slowly building up to. And I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. One day. Maybe a year or two from now. I mean, well, I mean, if I do it slowly because it took me almost about a year to build Modern Elves only because I was getting one piece at a time. Like, I was getting a couple pieces a month and I was waiting for the the expensive pieces too. Like the Cavern of Souls and some of the other lands. I don't remember what else. And the Heritage Druids and all that. So if I do the same thing, if I get a piece or two a month, you know, I can just slowly build up, and then I'll have the problem of having to find a legis- a place to play Legacy, which that's a whole nother problem. <sighs> I just need, yeah, need to find somewhere to play Legacy, and that's the sad part. I'm just building this for naught. So, the other deck I am slowly building, it's not anything I'm in a hurry to do, um, I had an inkling to want to build another EDH deck, and I will tell you who my commander will be. This is just something I'm slowly doing, I'm not in any rush to build this, so, where's the commander? Oh, maybe I didn't take him out. But it's going to be Phoenix or Phynax, the blue-black god. And Phynax, I will read what he does. Phynax, god of deception, costs three colorless, a blue, and a black. It is a legendary enchantment creature, a god. It's indestructible as long as your devotion to blue and black is less than seven. Phynax isn't a creature. So basically what this guy does is creatures you control have tap, target, you tap the creature target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is this creature's toughness. So basically that means is if your creature is a 2020 and you tap it, that target your target player mills the t- top 20 cards of their library. and yeah, so I'm building a mill deck. Um, it's nothing serious at all. Um, I'm going to put Consuming Aberration in there, which the great thing with Consuming Aberration is what? Is it everybody's graveyard or just your graveyard? Consuming, Consuming Aberration. Consuming Aberration's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards in your opponent's graveyards. So, just right there, if all your opponents have 20 cards each, this guy's a you know, it could be a forty-forty or a sixty-sixty if you're in a four-man group. Whenever you cast a spell, each opponent reveals cards from the top of his or her library until he or she reveals a land card, then puts those cards in his or her graveyard. Yeah, that card's definitely going in. Um, some of the other cards I pulled that I'm gonna put put in that are not the common type blue-black cards. Uh, what I pull out here. Did I pull out? Uh, uh I didn't pull out anything special. I'm going to have consuming aberration, mind grind. Um god, what's that one guy? Mink's or Ming or Minko. Ah, I forgot his name. He's another blue black guy where you mill a bunch of cards. Um this said, it's just going to be a mill deck. And um it's just really for fun. And For everybody to hate me. So it's okay. And I'll have a lot of counter spells in it too. Because being a blue mage myself. Gotta make sure no one has fun. Except me. (laughs) Yeah. But um. There's that. So. Let's get on to. The main topic of. The night. So as we were discussing before. With the Platinum Pro players. Appearance fee changes and where is that one? Okay. The platinum pro ch- pro changes their appearance fees and the hall of famers appearance fees. So in case you don't know, it's already been beaten to death where they are, they were getting what, three grand every time they showed up to a grand prix or pro tour And then it was going to be reduced to 250. The community had an outcry. Wizards reversed it just for this season. And. Yeah. So I guess what I wanted to bring up was Pascal Menard wrote an interesting article about really how much money pro players make in Magic. And really just discussing how much money they make, not counting if they already have a job or not. Like, if you just played Magic, um, and it's, in essence, not a lot of money at all. While to some people, it may be a lot of money. And, I mean, okay, that came off as wrong. It is a lot of money. But, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money at all. Because, because basically, he went on to say the income of a Platinum Pro, six K a year in GP, when in Grand Prix winnings. This, these are all estimates. Um, th- these are average numbers, so because he didn't have, um, you know, exact numbers to go to go based on. And then thirteen thousand a year in Pro Tour winnings, twenty thousand a year to produce content, and then five thousand a year in sponsorships, which comes out to about forty-four thousand. Um, so while that's not a bad living, that's not a bad amount of money to make. The one thing that you have to think about though, is the expenses that come along with it. You know, when you are sponsored, most likely you are not going to really have to pay for magic, so to say, um you'll most likely be getting cards from your sponsorship. You know, they'll help you build the decks you want to build, um, buy whatever product that you need, especially if you're working, you know, if you're on like team fireball or team star city games or team TCG player, whatever the team names are, you know, you're going to be having help buying the cards that you need, but you know, the, he, I guess some of the expenses he talks about seem a little off. Um, because you know he's saying that like all the pros live simple lives, you know no cars, no no kids, no car, no, and no other expenses. You know five thousand a year in flights, hotels, and cabs. I I guess it depends on how many tournaments you're traveling to, because that seems a little light. Um, five thousand a year in rent with apartment, internet, and phone. Where the fuck is he renting that? Where he's only paying five thousand a year? As if you look. If you're paying five thousand a year in rent, and that's including internet and phone, you divide you do five thousand divided by twelve, you're only paying four hundred and sixteen bucks a month. Where the fuck are you living for that shit? Because holy shit. Even where I'm at, where the house I was renting was about eight hundred and sixty dollars, which that is a pretty good price for a three bedroom house. Um. Yeah, and this isn't really considered a city where I'm at. You go to a city like Tampa or Orlando and try to get the same house for rent. You're looking at paying over like twelve hundred, thirteen hundred, maybe even more for that. Um, Four hundred dollars a month here, and this place is pretty damn cheap to live. Four hundred here would maybe get you a studio apartment, maybe. God, uh, I mean. Maybe if you had, like, income assistance or Section 8 or something. You know, a housing assistance. I don't know. That just seems rough. I don't... Like I said, these are all estimates, so I'm trying not to dwell on that. But just when I first saw that 5000 a year, I'm just like, where? Like, please tell me where you're living. Because I will move in a heartbeat. Um, and then 1500 a year in food during trips? Shit. So... So let's say so it is fifteen hundred a year. Divide that by twelve. You're only paying a hundred and twenty-five bucks each time you travel. Well, I mean, like I said, a hundred twenty-five bucks a month. And when you go out, you must be eating like the dollar menu for McDonald's or something. Like I said, it really depends on where you're traveling to, or like how often you're traveling. When you count that, and then a thousand dollars a year in registration fees represents about 15 Grand Prix's played so let's say you just went to 15 Grand Prix's well how many Pro Tours are there four like three or four so let's say you do 15 Grand Prix's Um, my math is really terrible so you do 1500 divided by 15 so you're spending about a hundred bucks each hundred bucks in just food which can be reasonable especially if you're just feeding yourself because you could eat on the cheap you know there's fast food shit like McDonald's um, you know like Little Caesars $5 hot and ready's there's fuck if I know what, whatever the hell else like super cheap food so yeah that could be possible um, yeah but I, I guess what's interesting getting out of all the math Out of this. What's interesting about all this. Is. You know if you. He's saying. You know can you make a living out of playing magic. If you total up the numbers above. You're left with 31,000 left. Of which you have to pay taxes. Buy clothes. House stuff. Food cards and everything necessary to live. That's not a lot. Um, You know I won't lie. It'd be awesome. To be a pro player in magic. But after reading some of these articles. And I remember reading another article. About how much pro players make, and it's surprisingly not a lot of money. Um, while it's cool that people can do that and make a living out of it, um, the one thing that really kind of gets to me, and, and not really, I, I guess it doesn't really get to me, but just kind of worries me, is you know, you see so many people now going into esports or you know, video game entertainment, you know, there's people making, you know, good livings off YouTube, um, Twitch, you know, games like magic. It's, you know, what, and and like I said, with, with this whole thing is so very young. I mean, we don't really have the data to back it up, but what, what's going to happen to you when you're, let's say you're a pro magic player. And you just, you know, what's going to happen to you when you're 50 or 60? You know, when you hit 60 years old, you're going to want to retire and you've been doing nothing but playing magic. You know, hopefully you have investments lined up or something, you know, pension, not pensions, but, um, you know, Roth IRAs or whatever the hell else, something. It's just, and you know, it's really none of my business with uh, what other people do with their money and all that. It just, gets me thinking about myself. Cause I have this career that I'm building up, you know, I'm working on getting an in, investment portfolio down. Um, you know, my 401k built up and just making sure I, I ensure my future so that when it, do, when I do come to retire, that I can just do whatever the fuck I want. You know, I'm going to be a millionaire when I retire. Not really, but, um, you know, it's just something I, I really try to focus on. So when I see, you know, pro magic players, while I'm a little bit jealous, you know, that's like, well, shit, you know, I, I wish I could do my living playing a game like that, which I would love to do it. But then when I read about, you know, the finances, the expenses that come with it, you know, and the amount of money you make, especially with magic, just like, damn, it's not worth it, you know? And like I said, to some, forty-four thousand is a lot of money, and I don't disagree with that at all. But in the long scheme of things, one, that money is not guaranteed when you're a pro magic player. Um, You know, there you're not making a salary or anything like that. So it's because I do know there's some other pros that definitely have jobs. You know, full-time jobs or part-time jobs, because when they have to, there is just no money. And magic, and then two, it's it's just a little disconcerting because it's like it's just like damn, that's not a lot. Because when you look at some of the pro player winnings, like you look at a pro player's winnings from over the past ten years, and let's just say a pro player has accumulated a hundred thousand dollars in ten years, that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. That's about ten thousand a year. And that's below poverty right there. Um, Yeah. It's kind of, like I said, it's a little disconcerting about it. But then, you know, then there's been a lot of talk about making Magic more of an eSport. Because, you know, Hasbro is wanting to push Magic into the eSport sphere. And, And, you know, it's I feel like especially companies like Star City Games and Channel Fireball and even Wizards themselves are trying I mean there's there's always could be room for improvement, but they are really trying to get magic out there into you, in the more I guess esports world. And if you're not familiar with esports, it's esports is basically video game sports, which is like Starcraft. Um StarCraft, uh Dota, League of Legends, Counter-Strike stuff like that. So, they so Hasbro definitely wants a piece of that pie because those games can bring in, you know, good sponsors and they bring in more viewers. They bring in a high amount of viewers, they bring in money because then people will want to go spend money on their product. But one of the inherent things about Magic is it is a terrible spectator sport. So what could be done about it? What could be done to really make Magic more of an eSport? One, they have to figure out a way to make it easy to watch and fun. Now, I will admit, um, you know, I can follow... Whenever I watch, like, a Standard Tournament or Modern Tournament... Now now that I've been following Modern a little bit more... I can pretty much understand what's going on. Um, you know, I, I can sort of get the gist of what they're doing... And what they're planning on doing. Um, but if I watch something like a Legacy Tournament... Or a Vintage Tournament, which I don't have any experience in, really... I mean, I've played maybe a handful of Legacy games... But they were non-tier decks... Um, but like when I'm watching Legacy and don't even, when I try to watch Vintage, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's like I can understand, you know, I understand how to play Magic, but the cards themselves, those older cards that I just don't ever use or never saw or played with when I was a kid, I just, I don't know what's going on. Um, and that makes it really hard. So I can understand why Wizards wanting to push Standard more because one Standard. The cards are a lot easier to understand than they were 20 years ago. Um, But like I said, what can we do to make Magic an easier spectator sport? One, if they really want to push it, they need to get the Hearthstone crowd. They need to really figure out a way to make Magic Online better than what it is. Because right now the UI, the GUI is absolutely terrible. And, you know, this has been talked about to death. So I'm not going to go into how to make it better, but I mean, basically they need something like magic duels, but without all the limits and restrictions and just make that because magic duels is, while it's not the greatest looking, it looks extremely far better than magic online. Um, you know, the sort of isometric view of the board isn't that great for a spectator sport. But, like, is it just the actual animations and all that look way better? So, as I said, they really need to figure out their digital platform. Um Would that be going away from the paper product? Yes, because I think eventually... I don't think they'll phase out the paper product because the paper product is extremely popular. But... Say if they really want to get into the esports, they they need to get something in the digital realm because the paper the paper tournaments just aren't doing it. It's it's too hard to follow. Um, You know I've read that you know people are trying to come up with systems to where you know when they're playing paper magic, they can scan the cards. Some have the cameras scan the cards so it can just show up on the screen. Or maybe there can be like an interactive broadcast where you can like click on the card as they're playing so you can see what they're doing. But, you know, it that's just, it's ridiculous that as a regular spectator should have to know so much about the game in order to enjoy it. You know, you can make the the argument when, you know, when I went to my first hockey game. I didn't understand anything of what was going on. Like, I didn't understand the rules, but I knew the basics of, Oh, puck has to go in the goal. And when I didn't understand a lot of the rules, you know, I don't even know what the hell to call it. Like why'd they stop so often, you know, to have a shootout or, you know, go head to head, whatever it was. But, um, you know, but I was still able to enjoy the game, you know, cause I knew the very basics of it with magic. Yeah. The very basics is to defeat your opponent, But the way it's played is far more confusing to someone brand new than, you know, someone like you and I who understands what's going on in the game. Um, So, I mean, like I said, Wizards or Hasbro really needs to do something to make the game easier to watch. But I think that may come with some sacrifices of the paper product and also, probably some sacrifices of eventually phasing out magic online. Um What would they do with people's collections who've amassed a lot of money into it? I'm not sure. Um, maybe they'll keep it around, but they'll, you know, have the tout off the new magic necks or whatever it's called. But we just have to wait and see. Um. So another thing is... Is... I think if they ever figure out how to make magic easier to watch, that will attract the sponsors. Um, right now, the only real sponsors I see are just mainly like magic companies that make, um, you know, accessories like deck protectors, um, boxes, and, you know, binders, stuff like that, which, you know, that that's pretty much what you want to market to. Um, but if we started getting sponsors other than like Ultra Pro or... You know, Dragon Shield or whatever else is out there. If we started getting sponsors like Coke or Pepsi or, you know, Doritos or you know, some of the really big name brands, you know, not only does that pour more money into the actual tournaments, it makes it more exciting to watch in the sense of one once it gets easier to watch and understand and that there's bigger money on the line you know people there's people are going to be more apt to tune in um you know like i don't really care for i i was addicted to league of legends for about a year but i don't really play it anymore i i stopped playing it like three four years ago um But, you know, come every year, whenever the League of Legends World Championship goes on, yeah, I'll watch a few games because it's exciting that, you know, how much money was there last year? Four or five million in prizes? It's like, that's freaking awesome that, you know, someone who wins that whole thing will get four or five million dollars or something. That's pretty cool. I mean, we don't have anything like that in Magic, which, do I see us ever getting that high? I mean, it's always possible, but it would take a long time but it's you know so we can we can sit sit down and make all these arguments and talk about you know what wizards can and can't do and but like i said i think the biggest hurdle is to make this game easier to watch and that is something you know definitely not me I, i don't know the answers to that um how to make that easier i don't think paper in the long run, is the way to go to getting this, um, getting magic into the esports realm because paper is just too hard to control. Whereas, you know, if we get a really good digital product, one that reduces the amount of, you know, judge calls, that reduces, uh, you know, amount of shuffling that has to be done. It, it'll make games go faster, in a sense. Because you're not having to shuffle, 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 shuffle. Um, or you're not having to, you know, especially in between matches, you don't have to worry about, you know, shuffling your deck or anything like that. Like I said, I'm not saying digital is going to be better than paper because I'll always prefer paper magic. But it, like I said, I just think the move has to happen. It If they want to survive as an esport, they have to move to it or else. I just don't see like paper surviving because there's just not, not as much control over it. Um, yeah. So that's really all my thoughts on that. And, um, I wasn't expecting this to go on as long as I thought it would, but, um, yeah, I just want to thank you for listening and, you know, just keep on keeping on. Um, you can check me out at legitmtg.com, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Shout Engine, uh, MagicWazooby.com, Twitter at magicwazoobie, Facebook.com slash magic, magicwazoobie. If you want to shoot me an email, um, mtgzubi at gmail.com. Um, yeah, just hit me up and thanks for listening. All right, have a good night, everybody.